Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Floor and Decor. Largest selection of hard surface flooring and lowest prices guaranteed. John, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hi, Jim. Just uh, get your opinion. Uh, I've got uh, on my roof the standard uh, wind-aided cooling for the, uh, the stuff. And I'm looking to uh, possibly put in uh, the, what, the solar panel or uh, uh, vent cooling and just get your thoughts. Uh, you're talking about putting in a solar uh, fan? Is that, uh, yeah. I'm not, okay. I love those. Uh, you, you know, a lot of times people ask about uh, putting in an electric fan for venting in, in the attic and such. And I always tell them, no, go with a solar powered. Uh, they have far less trouble than regular electric ones, uh, and it doesn't cost you anything to run it. Okay. Now, I just, like I said, just trying to get a an idea. I've got a big uh, house, so uh, I think there's like five or so those events. What, what do you have right now, air hawks or whirlybirds? Uh, probably... I'm not sure. Probably whirly birds. Okay, so you got that big circle thing up there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a whirly bird, and you, you will find it'll make a vast difference switching over to the uh, solar powered fans. Uh, the other thing is make sure you got enough soffit vents to go with it, because a lot of times we don't have enough soffit vents, and uh, you know by by increasing your soffit vents, you get more airflow. And the secondary thing is you won't necessarily need to put five of these up there. Uh, look at the the CFM, how much air it's moving, uh-huh. and uh, you're going to find that you'll be able to cut down on the numbers that you've got. Okay. Now, because I'm just looking at the, uh, the summertime when it yep. uh, gets uh, less wind. Yep. And there you go. All right. Well, John, you take care. You too. Have a good one. Let's head to Fort Worth. And Greg, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hi, Jim. Thank thank you for taking my call. Um, This call is on behalf of a client that I, uh, whose home I inspected, and the house in question is in Richardson. Okay. Um, It's a 1960s home, pure beam, and the original home was removed and a new modern-day uh, three-year-old home was put on top of the pier and being two-story. The issue we have is some moisture in the crawl space. Um, when I got into the crawl space and inspected it, I didn't discover a, a real big moisture problem. The, 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 the dirt was a little saturated out on the ends, and it had been raining. Um, but the floor, these two areas of the floor, that is cupping on kind of either end of the home. Um, structurally, the piers and the foundation of the home underneath is good. Okay. It has vents. Uh, it's got seven vents. So on a for about a, a thousand foot, a thousand square foot crawl space. So about se- uh, seven vents. I just want to get your opinion. Um, he has 
he had an encapsulation specialist out there to see if they could encapsulate the crawl space, and they could. And uh, it was going to be astronomical. And then he got another uh, 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 specialist out there. I'm not sure uh, what his expertise was. Uh, a moisture expert uh, specialist, but he recommended removing all the spray foam underneath the subflooring. Okay. So Long story. the floor on top is what's cupping, and they've got spray foam on the subfloor. Do you happen to know if that's a closed cell or open cell? It is closed cell. Okay. So I seriously doubt that that's uh, what's causing the, the big issue. Now, uh, what is causing the issue is the change in construction. I mean, uh, an old house built in 1960, it breathed, and it would take air in and out. Now we build them so tight, they don't breathe, and we do start having some of these moisture issues. But that closed-cell foam should be acting as a moisture barrier to keep any moisture that is in the crawl space from going up into the subfloors and flooring itself so i'm i'm really questioning if that's where the the main issues are now i uh on your on your ventilation you said it had seven vents right yes okay um so that would give you six if they were the standard uh eight by 16 vents Mm -hmm. that that would basically give you six square foot of ventilation and let's see, you said there was a 1,000 square foot on that floor? Yes. So, I mean, that that actually calculates out to the right amount. Uh, so my secondary questions are going to be, because you have some moisture in that subfloor, where's the moisture, or in that soil, where's the moisture coming from? Is it on a little bit of a hill that's getting moisture underneath? Did they replace the sewer pipes to make sure that those are all sealed up? Things like that. But as as far as is uh, ventilating it, you can put a fan in one of those vents that has a humidistat on it as well as a temperature on it, and that will suck the air out from underneath and pull new air in, and that does an amazing job of drying out these crawl space houses. And for for and I do this every every day, and I I think that's what you're probably looking at. The encapsulation is ungodly expensive, like you said. I've done several of them, uh, and it it is a rare case that I would say encapsulate. Almost always the ventilation will take care of it. But I think it needs to be looked at for another problem just because you do have that closed-cell foam. Uh, moisture shouldn't be traveling through that. And I'm questioning the AC system. And that music meant I need to take a break. Would you mind if I put you on hold and come back to you? No, sir. I'll hold. All right. When we left, I was talking with Greg, and we're talking about a moisture issue. And, uh, Greg, let me ask you a couple other quick questions here. Uh, Because I'm really thinking that this is something to do with the inside and more than likely with the AC system. And what I find a lot of times is... When people leave the thermostat up too high, the humidity levels in the house go up as well because it's not dehumidifying when it's not on. Uh, 
by chance, do you know where they've been keeping the thermostat set? Gosh, um, the house has been vacant, so I'm not 100% sure what they've been keeping it at. Um, there was, could it that, be a, also a, a clearance or spacing issue with the flooring on the sides, possibly, and, oh, and then with the well, moisture? Not if it's cupping. Uh, if it's cupping, that's no, that's going to be a moisture issue. Uh, when it's the the space issue on the sides, it'll normally pop up an area where, where it basically tents the floor and relieves all the pressure in one spot. Uh, but especially if the house is vacant, if they're turning that thermostat up to you know seventy eight, seventy nine uh, on the hot days, and in the in the in the winter months, uh, you know, leaving it really cold, the humidity levels will rise. And it will start that floor cupping that way. I've I've seen it many times. Uh, the th- what they may want to consider doing before they do anything else uh, is just putting a dehumidifier in there. Uh, well, first of all, check the humidity levels. You know, your newer thermostats will actually do that if you got a variable speed system, and they a lot of times have a setting for dehumidification. But it, it, since this was a new build. A lot of times, those are a single-speed system. So let's check the humidity level within the house. And if it's over, I would say if it's over, say, 65%, let's put a dehumidifier in there and see if we can bring it down. Because normally you want to have it between 45 and 55%. When you start getting into the 70 and 75%, that's when the floors are definitely going to be cupping. But it'll typically start at 65 and up. And that, okay. that's, I think, the direction I would head. Okay. All right. Um, so just one, one more question. What should the humidity be in the crawl space? In the, in the crawl space, it's not unusual for the humidity to get up into that, you know, 75% range. Gotcha. Uh, and, okay. and that's not going to typically hurt anything. So, and, and it can go higher than that. But like I said, if you put that dehumidif- that fan in there with the humidistat, Mm-hmm. And temperature on it, and they're really not that expensive to have installed. Uh, that will circulate the air and typically bring that humidity way down. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Let's head to Granbury, Texas. Priscilla, how are you today? I'm doing well, and you? I'm doing wonderful. Okay, we have two two-year-old train air conditioners in our attic and uh, use the builders AC company. Um, I am getting dust in the house and I called that company and the lady said, well, that's because the intake vents are in the ceiling. They're up at the top of our ceilings and we do have 10 foot ceilings. So I just got um, an email from the company that we used before we built our house, and they were advertising this dust-free active air purifier. Uh-huh. So will, will that work and help get dust out of the house? Yes. Uh, the, the fact that the return air is, <clears throat> excuse me, is up in the ceiling should uh-huh. not be causing a dust issue. Oh. Uh, but I thought because we were in a 70s house in yeah. another part of Granbury, and 
we didn't have the problem that we have now. Yeah, a newer house, uh, if it's having a dust issue like that, uh-huh. somewhere it, there is an opening that's allowing dust from the attic probably to get into the house. And normally on, on new construction now, the codes have you seal around all the uh, light fixture openings, all the AC right. vent openings, all of that stuff uh, in order to keep dust from coming in. And somewhere something is not sealed properly. It's letting dust in. And that's what I would... uh, Are you in an area where they're still doing a lot of building by chance? Well, no. We're about a half a mile away. They are. But the wind... We have a wind tunnel that blows through our backyard from the lake. Uh huh. And we're on a golf course, and so it is windy. You get and and dusty outside. Yep. And that's probably what's causing this. Then, um, hmm. more more so than where the vent is for the AC system, because understanding uh, the, the AC system has a filtration system on it that should be filtering out the air to begin with. Now well, that's the other thing. We don't have any dust. We in our filters, and we have the three or four inch thick filters, and we check them, and there's never any dust in it. How often are you changing them out? Um, well, we had been doing it every six months because we had a two we have a two year warranty with the AC company, and the gentleman just comes out and changes them okay. every six months. So, go, go ahead. No, no. What I was going to say is, I am really since every six months on a on a three to four inch filter. I mean, that's that's normal, and yes, it should have some dust in it. There is an opening somewhere that that AC system I think is sucking air from your attic. Okay. And it's not pulling the air through the filter. Okay. I'll. Um, I don't know. Yeah, because if it if it's it's pulling air through the filter, it's gonna have some dust on it. So would the AC company do the checking since that's the problem? Is or or who yeah. would who yeah, would it, it would be an AC company. Um, okay. I mean, you can give them the opportunity to come check it, but honestly, it doesn't cost that much to get somebody else out there to give you a different opinion. Good. Okay. And I think I would probably tend to do that because if they've been doing the service work on this unit as well, mm-hmm. they should have already caught this. Okay. Well, she stopped. She nipped it in the bud as far as I was concerned when she said, oh, no, they're in the ceiling now, so it won't be picking up the dust. And I thought, well, what are, what are they for? What are the fil- Why am I buying filters if, you know, there's no catch and yeah. Anyway, yeah. so okay, and and, well, and that and and on, honestly, I mean, well, I, my house, all my re, my uh, intakes going to my AC unit are in the mm-hmm. ceilings. Okay, uh, and I've got one in every single room of of the house. It all goes up to where the media filter is. Uh, that's just pure bunk. Okay, <laughs> wouldn't you know? Okay. Well, I'll get to work on it then, see what I can find out. All righty. You take care. Thanks for the information. Wes, welcome to WBAP. How can I help you? Thanks for taking the call. I appreciate it. 
You bet. Uh, yeah, we we live in a new house. It's freshly built, about a year and a half old. Doing the last hard freeze we had last year, where it got down in the teens, the water line into the master bedroom toilet water closet froze up, and we were able to keep it. We were able to defrost it. I was able to find a free, uh, heater, believe it or not, and we got defrosted. I want to take care of that issue before. We get into another freeze, but I'm unsure exactly the best approach to do it. It's on the back side of the house. The water line runs along the back side of the house up into the attic. Didn't have problems with any other water lines or anything, so it's just this one. Okay. And what are your water lines made out of? Oh, what is that standard water pipe they use in the house? Uh, blue for, for cold, red for okay. hot. You got PEX pl- plumbing then. Right, right. Okay. And and quite honestly, with the PEX, it's, it's not near as critical because it expands and contracts back down. So it, when the water freezes, it'll expand the pipe, but it won't break it. The fittings, it can still break. So uh, you, you're good on that. Uh, what is the insulation in your walls? Uh, it's all pink batting. Okay. So chances are the pipe got on the outside of that insulation then and very, so very possible. yeah so uh, i mean your choices are going to be to open the wall and re-insulate the pipe or have uh, foam injected into the wall which will encapsulate the fiberglass insulation uh, and will encapsulate the pipe as well uh, raising the, the r value around it or, uh, quite frankly, the other choice is make sure when we got a freeze coming that you just have a space heater there in that area to, to raise the temperature there. Problem is, when we lose power, temperature don't go up when you're using a space that's heater. Right. So, uh, But, I mean, that that's really what you're going to be kind of left with is either injecting foam into the wall or uh, pulling off sheetrock in order to get access to where the insulation is and insulate around the pipe. And the, and the pipe can be insulated with, with just the, uh, um, you know, the tube where it's, it's split and you just put right. it around the pipe. And that right. that's probably all you would need. Let's head over to Fort Worth. Margaret, how are you today? I'm great, Jim. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Awesome. I love your show. Thanks. Thank you. I had a question because I have a outside corner of a foundation that has crumbled and it supports the corner of the house of course and do you have to have a like a foundation repair expert to do to put that corner back in well when you say the corner you you, call any contractor are you talking about where the the corner of the slab itself oh about six inches back got a crack and, and the little corner piece fell off Yes. Okay. No, that that's actually nothing to worry about. It's very common. And what causes it is the steel doesn't reach all the way out there. It You know, it's further up away from the, the edge. And concrete uh-huh. cracks by nature. And the steel is in it to hold it together. And so the corner is exposed and dries faster than the rest of the concrete. It becomes a, a natural weak spot. And this happens quite often. Is is the chunk still there? Yes, it is. Okay. You can just take some uh, uh, 
concrete epoxy and literally epoxy it back into place and uh, you'll be just fine. So you can do it or any contractor can do that for you. Really? I was afraid the whole corner was going to fall. Oh, well, let me have you write me a big check and I'll come fix it for you. But no, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very much. That's useful information. I appreciate it. All righty. You take care. Bye-bye. And again, 1-800-288-9227. Just by the way, that is extremely common on homes. Uh, Don't lose any sleep over it. Um, it, it's easy to epoxy it back on, but if you never do anything with it, nothing's going to happen to the house either. So I got a, uh, an email from Hazel in Angleton, and she says, uh, tar on house slab in an older home with subfloors. Tar is under the subfloor on the slab. What is the purpose of the tar? I've been given a couple of different answers and figure you will know the purpose of the tar. Thanks. Well, it's, it's real simple. It's waterproofing. Moisture comes through slabs. Concrete is porous. And if you go back uh, on older homes, stuff that was built in the 60s and earlier, uh, when they had wood floors, they would have two-by-fours on their side laying in that tar. They would put the tar down as a hot tar, and they would lay the two-by-fours down into it, and that would basically glue the two-by-fours down and then the wood floor would go on top of that. Well, the tar served two purposes. One, it was gluing the two-by-fours for the wood floor, but two, it was waterproofing and wouldn't let moisture come up through the concrete because moisture is going to come through it, but the tar would stop it from getting up there where the wood is and warping it. And I know uh, know, that we all think we're smarter nowadays and we don't need to do that stuff, but... When when they used to use that hot tar on, on those slabs to waterproof it, we didn't have all these warping floors like we have nowadays. It did a great job of what it was designed to do. Uh, now we try to use these glues that go down, and, oh, we think that's going to act as a moisture barrier as well. And what happens is a lot of those glues get soft. Now, I've seen some newer ones come out that are supposedly waterproof. I don't know. Uh, I have not tried them yet over a long period of time, but uh, the tar, hey, that was that was a proven material there. It it definitely did the job. So yeah, that's what it's for. Michael in Nassau Bay, how can I help you? Hey Jim, I'm wondering about tankless heaters, specifically, just a you know a unit under my kitchen sink. How big are those things and? Do you need separate ones for the sink and the dishwasher, or how does that work? Well, if you're going to put a small one like that under the sink, they're they're usually what what they call on-demand for one fixture. And you can hook it up where it does the dishwasher and the sink both. But you'll hook it up in the hot water line to it so that the tankless is only on until you get hot water from your regular water heater. And then it would shut this the, the tankless off. Uh, as far as size-wise, uh, they can be as small as a large book. And uh, just plug into 110 power. Okay, what about cost? 
Huh, you know, I, honestly, I'm not up to, to date on what they're costing since everything has been being adjusted with all this inflation stuff. Uh, they used to be only a few hundred bucks, but I don't know where they're at now. You think it would make sense to do the standalone units for, you know, a three-bedroom house, three sinks, basically? Or four, I guess, for the kitchen? Well, uh, are you? Is it is it a new house? No, 68, 1968. Okay, and, and why are you wanting to do this? Because you're not getting water, hot water fast enough? Exactly. Okay. Then, yeah, you, I mean, your choices are going to be to go ahead and put something like this underneath there or add a recirculating system. Run Falls makes a recirculating system that you can go to the furthest faucet and it crosses the water back over to the cold water side, recirculates it back to the water heater. And that would recirculating system would give you hot water then at, at all your sources rather quickly. Okay. Never heard of that. I'll have to look it up. Okay. And and, and the reason that I, I recommend that is uh you know, like I said, the tankless is gonna use one ten power. An older home like that's not gonna have the power available underneath the sinks. Some of the newer homes actually do have plugs available for it. But the other issue is, uh, and, and I should have gone over this with you, because your electric panel probably wouldn't handle multiple ones being installed unless it's been upgraded. Uh, you know, when, when 60s model houses were built, they weren't built with all these tankless water heaters in mind that we're using nowadays. And Normally, we got to run a little more power for it. Bob in Spring, how are you today? Hi, Jim. I'm great, and I enjoy your show uh, every week. The reason I called you, I'm, I'm, I've got a dryer vent issue, and when I first bought this house, I noted that the dryer wasn't drying really quickly. Once I did some research to where the vent goes, I went up in the attic and found that there was an exhaust fan up there about three-quarters of the way in line with the vent, and it was never hooked up. There was two bare wires. So I put a plug on it, plugged it in, and the dryer worked much better because it's probably about a 35, 38-foot rut. Okay. And uh, I bought a new dryer a couple years ago. This thing said it could do, you know, 40 feet with one angle in it, which is what mine has. And a number of months ago, and one of your previous callers, when he was talking about vents, it just kind of rang my bell and said, oh, gosh, my dryer – the, the vent shook, shook it, the, the fan shook itself apart. So my dryer has been now just blowing hot air up into my attic for the past, I don't know, six, eight months or so. And I don't know if that's a good thing, a bad thing. I've got soft vents, but I don't have any ridge vents or fans up there. And I guess my question is, am I, I've got, I've got tech shield uh, in the attic, but what do I have to do to get that vent fixed? Is it an HVAC guy? Is it a appliance guy? Or is it okay just blowing hot air up in the attic since it's No, you, you got to get it, it out because it's not a matter of the hot air. Uh, it's a matter of the moisture that's in that air. That'll ruin right. your insulation. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we need to go ahead and get that vented out. Now, uh, typically... Uh, AC HVAC companies are who run the vents for exhaust fans and and dryer vents and stuff like that. So okay, uh, that's all you need. Let's head up to uh, 
Brian, Texas. Michael, how can I help you? Hey, yes, sir. Is it possible to put a reverse osmosis system or a water softener in, a, in an apartment unit? Uh, definitely a reverse osmosis. Absolutely. And yes, in, in most cases, you can put a water softener in an apartment, but you're going to need their permission on that because you're having to tie into their lines. Uh, the problem you're going to find, though, with apartments, it's going to depend on if you have your own water heater and stuff or not. Um, you know, some apartments have a water heater that's good for all the units. And in that case, no, you wouldn't be able to do a water softener. But if you have your own water heater, uh, water uh, source, you can do it that way, right? Yes, sir. Okay, and, and what's the difference between the two of them, the water softener and the reverse osmosis? What's the difference? Okay, the water softener basically is uh, taking all the mineral um, stuff that makes water hard out of it, and usually they use uh, salt then to clean the beads that cleans the water, um, and basically it's cleaning all the water that's going into the unit. What a reverse osmosis system is, is typically used for drinking water, ice cubes, uh, cooking water, things, your coffee, things like that. And it, um, not only does it filter the water, everything else out of the water, the chlorine, everything that's in the water comes out. Um, it, it's just a pure, clean water when it's done. And that's normally just a little thing that goes underneath your sink in the kitchen where the the water uh, softener like you said ties into the water coming into your house I personally run both in my personal home this actually came in from Watauga but uh, it's pertinent to to all of us uh, Rob says I have an eight foot wooden fence board on board built with screws etc with metal posts. In the recent windstorm, about four of the posts bent, and so it leans about two inches at the top. About four to five panels are affected. The fence doesn't seem to have any damage aside from the bent post. I tried to straighten them out with a four by four piece of wood and a bottle jack, but it's not budging. Is this something that can be done with the right tools and jacks, or will I need to be pulled apart and rebuild? Well, the fence itself is probably fine. It's really, it sounds like it's just the post. Now, you may or may not be able to straighten them. If, if the post is actually bent, you won't have very good luck straightening out that bent post. It can be done, but it's all going to depend on how much. Uh, it bent and things like that. What may be easier for you and a lot more permanent for you is to literally pull that post out and put a new one in. So here you're going to have two choices. One, they make a joint and you'll you'll find it at the fence supply stores. You probably won't find it at uh, the box stores like Lowe's and Home Depot, but at a regular fence supply store, uh, they, they'll make a coupler that goes on the inside of the pipe. And so you could cut the old one off at the concrete, put the coupler in there, 
and it'll stick up where you can slide the new post over it and then just uh, screw the two pieces together uh, by just drilling the hole through it and and putting a screw in there and that would straighten it out for you. Uh, the other choice is to go ahead and pull the post, the concrete and everything, drop a new post in, concrete it and be done with it. Uh, you can hook your fence back up to it. So you, you got a couple options, uh, but neither of which should require taking the fence down completely if you do just one post at a time. And you actually can do that. When you do fence posts, you don't have to mix concrete. You can pour in dry sackcrete, take the backside of your shovel, and pack it. And that way you can move the post around, especially in a situation like this where you're um, wanting to match up to join the, the two panels back together and such, you can move the post around as you're packing the concrete around it. And once you get up to the top, you're done. Now, I would make sure to dome it so that uh, it doesn't pond water on the top uh, because what they have found is when you leave it recessed a little bit, the water sits in the concrete and it'll rust the post off at the ground level. But by doming it, you keep the water running off of it, you'll be fine. And uh, you can move the post around to get it situated right where you need it as you pack the concrete around it. So hopefully that'll help you out with that. Dean, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hi, Jim. Thanks so much. So I was listening to your discussion of the shower pan, just the, just the back end of it. Yeah. I have a shower that was done fairly recently, just about five years ago. It doesn't have a prefab pad. It's just a mortar-based uh, setup. But I don't like – I like the tile on the, on the walls, but the tile on the floor of the shower has two problems. One, I, I just don't like the looks of it. And two, uh, when they mortared it in, they had some uh, low spots in it. They didn't do it so that it drained properly. So after I shower, there's little puddles here and there. So ah. what I'm wondering is, if it, is, is it possible for me to just inset some new tile over the top of what's already there, or do I have to tear it out? In some cases, you can go over what's there. Uh, the big problem you run into, though, is the drain itself, because it's already set for the tile that's there. And yep. so you, you would have a, a either a funny lip or, or an issue there. And quite honestly, if you're careful, it, it's not that bad to chip those tiles up. If you're careful you can chip them up yeah you can just uh you know once you get one spot started coming up then you, you're able to slide oh putty knife or something up underneath and, and pop the rest of them up uh you what i've always had good luck using is what's called a wonder bar it's, it's nothing more than a a pry bar it's a about 15 inches long two inches wide and uh it it, it just it does a great job of getting underneath and popping stuff like that loose and then can i typically do that without damaging the side tiles oh yes absolutely uh-huh okay one more question just um on the drain you say the drain's a problem it, it, the plumber can't come in and put an extension on that drain so that it'll go over the top of the new uh typically not i mean if i choose not to typically not so i so the best course is to chip it up and that's not yep. too hard okay yeah Okay. And oh, 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 now on the drainage thing. Yeah. If I chip up the old tile, 
Uh, am I going to be able to, to to fix that? I mean, if I thin, if I just pour a little extra here and there to try to to fix it, is that going to be a cracking problem or anything? Or can I? No, you should. You sh I mean, if you, you should be able to to go ahead and put some some leveling compound on it uh, or some additional uh -huh. mortar uh, and and level it out the way you want it. Okay, very good. I, I would so stick much. I would stick with a synthetic uh, leveling compound over mortar simply because yeah uh, when you get that thin it it will tend to crush easy where the leveling compound oh, won't leveling compound okay all right thanks so much you bet you've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement for more information about our show go to thipro.com. 